name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. A generation ago, there was a, a young lady who worked in a, a large umbrella factory in Philadelphia. In fact, it was it, at the time, it was the biggest umbrella factory in our country. One day, she was a bit discouraged, and she said to her, her pastor that she was going to have to find another job. And so he probed a little bit, and he said, why? He said, uh, uh, you know, have they fired you? Have you been let off? And she said, no, I haven't lost my job. And he probed a little bit further and said, what, is it just no orders? And she said, no, just the contrary. We have so many orders we can't fill. And she went on to tell him what it was. And this is what she said is the problem. She said, we have so much machinery that we don't have enough electricity to power all our machines at the same time. And so therefore, we have to let certain machines be idle at different times. We have plenty of machinery, just not enough power to run it. These days we've been talking about our frame, about a framework, not ours or the, but a framework for following Jesus. A framework that, that I believe is at least can be induced or implied from what Paul said to the Colossian church in chapter 1. If you've been with us, you've heard these verses every single Sunday for the last uh, five or six weeks. But uh, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul writing to them, he says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So far, what I said to you all was that, uh, that there's a true motivation for following Jesus. This is part of this infrastructure, if you would, for discipleship. Uh, there's a true motivation. I suggested that the motivation that'll keep us is a motivation of loving Jesus. That's the motivation that'll keep us following after him. We talked about a faithful obedience to his will, a growing wisdom in our understanding of him and his word and his will, developing maturity in every area of our life, and then practicing the spiritual disciplines. We talked about that last week. We said, and if you read the email this week, I, I commented on that, that uh, somebody shared with me afterwards, that the practice of discipline is what helps me mature in areas where I feel like I'm not as mature as I ought to be, and I ought to be growing in maturity. Discipline in those areas will help me grow in maturity. So today, what I'm calling the last part of this framework is, I'm, I'm calling this the power of our discipleship. And I'm going to suggest that the power of our discipleship will be found in our dependence on God. And that's what I'm going to be developing this morning in, in our thinking, is our dependence upon God. I hate to almost call this a sixth piece of the framework, because if anything, this is the power that energizes the rest of the framework. This is the part that makes the rest of the framework work in your life because you have power to, if you would, run the other aspects of the framework of discipleship. Like in my opening illustration, we ha can have a strong framework, but if it's not being empowered by God, if, it's, if there's no power behind it, even though I might understand these, these major components of following Jesus, I'm, I'm really not going to live in them without the power of God working in my life. And so, so this, is really the, uh, this last piece is really the power that, if you would, empowers all of the frame, framework. Let me begin this morning by asking you a question. Here's my question. Who is responsible 
for you growing as a disciple of Jesus? Who is responsible for you becoming the mature believer, the mature apprentice that you ought to become? Who is responsible? Is it you or is it God? I want to answer that question. You know, I appreciate those answers. Thank you. But I'm going to answer that question for us. So, uh, you know, I'm going to, that's, that's the whole goal today is to answer that question. Who's responsible? Is it God or is it uh, me? So here's what Paul tells the Colossian church. He says, uh, I labor for this striving. Right? Sounds like he's saying that he's laboring, he's striving, you know. But then he goes on and says, with his strength that works powerfully in me. Sounds like a both hand, doesn't it? That I'm responsible, but then that God is also responsible. And, and I'm going to make that suggestion to us this morning, that I am responsible and that God is responsible for my growth and, and my following after Jesus, my being the disciple that he wants me to be. Here's how Paul said it to the Philippian church, right? Who is, that's the, here's the question, who is responsible for you growing as a Christ follower? Here's what he says to the Philippian church in Philippians 2.12, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, here's what he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There it is, really clear, right? Who's responsible? You're responsible. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're responsible. But then before you even take another breath, he says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Wait a minute. It's God's responsibility, isn't it? I mean, he's working in you. Again, if you haven't figured it out, it's, it's a both-hand situation. I am responsible to work out my salvation, but then God is taking the initiative in me and that he is giving me the power and the ability to enable me to grow in my salvation. Now, before I, before I leave this point, before I leave this point, I, I want to share with you an illustration that I've shared with you numerous times over the last uh, years. And, and it's what it, it stuck with me from the day I heard it. And I'm just a young Christian. So my, the guy who was mentoring me, discipling me, helping me grow as a Christian, he basically talked about this verse. And he said, Jimmy, he said, if I had to go run out the, the, a 5K tomorrow, he said, I, I couldn't do it. He said, I couldn't do it. He said, but it is in me to run a 5K. I'd have to go train myself. I'd have to go, you know, get out there and practice and just build up my lung capacity. And then I could go and, and run that 5K. And he said, you know, our spiritual life is a lot like that. God has put salvation within us. He's put his spirit within us. He's put, he's put a new heart within us. He said, but, but now, he says, now go out and work that salvation out into your life. In other words, you know, be like Jesus in your life. Go work it out. And so it's your responsibility, but God's put it in you already. That's what Paul says to the church at Corinth, I mean, to, to, to the church at Philippi. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's at work in you. So it's both and. To the church at Corinth, Paul would say it like this, chapter 1, I mean, first, first letter, chapter 15, verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He says, man, I'm the least of the ones sent by, there it is, Nancy, sent by God. I'm the least of them. And he considered himself least, maybe because he considered himself last, but I think he considered himself least because he persecuted Christians. He killed them. In fact, he was out trying to kill 
and imprison followers of Jesus, thinking he's doing it for God. He says, now that God has sent me as an apostle for Jesus, I consider myself to be at the bottom of the list of those men. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Man, I love this. Have you ever worked with someone? It doesn't have to be something spiritual. You're just trying to help them grow in some area. You're trying to train them. You're trying to help them with their finances. Or you're trying to help them with eating. or what? You're trying to help them in some way, but nothing you do works. And after a while, you, you're just like, man, every bit of my investment was in vain. Paul says, man, God, God's investment in me was not in vain. It was not in vain. It had, it had a robust effect on my life. In fact, he goes on to say, again, verse 10, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He says, man, because of God's work and grace in my life, I worked harder than all of the other apostles. Who did the work? He did the work. I'm working harder than all of those guys. And there's evidence for that. He wrote most of the New Testament. He planted many more churches, evidently, than all the other apostles. Maybe even more. Well, who, who knows? But he, he planted, at least recorded for us, so many more churches than the other apostles. So he, he says, I worked harder than you. And then let's notice, notice this again, verse 10. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim so that you have believed. And I love what he says. He says, I worked harder than any of them, but it's not me. It's the grace of God that is in me. So whether it's the church of Colossae, whether it's the church of Philippi, whether it's the church of Corinth, Paul says the same thing. I am responsible to work. I am responsible to, to carry on as a disciple of Jesus. But yet at the same time, it is God in me. Who's responsible to be obedient to Jesus, to do what he tells us to do? You are. David, you are. You are responsible for your obedience, David. Who's responsible for growing in maturity? Chris, you are. It's your responsibility to grow in your maturity. It's not my responsibility to grow for you, but I am to grow in my own maturity. I am responsible, but having said that, where does the power come to be a disciplined Christian? Where does the power come to be a maturing Christian? It comes from God. It doesn't come from within me. It comes because God enables me and equips me to become all that God wants me to be. We all know this verse. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, guys, I want you to hang out in Jerusalem. Remember that? He's getting ready to leave day 40 after his resurrection. He's, he tells them, hang out for another 10 days. Don't leave. He says this, because you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, uh, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So let me just set aside the, the outcome of the power because I think the power is more than just being a witness and that's where Jesus focuses on. But, but, but you shall receive power. Power. Power to what? Power to live as a disciple of mine. Now, earlier in the week, there's what Jesus said to them. He said, this is John chapter 14, verse 16. That was Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Sorry, didn't give you the reference. John 14, 16, Jesus talking to his main men. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Another helper. Hey, I've been your helper I've been, I've, been, I've been training you and teaching you, but I'm going to give you another helper, and he's going to be with you forever. And he is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because he does, it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you, and he will be in you. 
Man, I'm responsible. But God has enabled me because he is sending his spirit to take Jesus' place. And he's going to be with you. And what does the text, what did Jesus tell them? He's not going to be with you. He's going to be what? And how does that work? I have no idea how that works. But he's in me. He's with me. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. And he's empowering me. And he's enabling me to be the disciple that I am responsible to be. Who's responsible? You are. But so is God. You're not alone. Here's what Paul said to the church at Corinth, second letter, third chapter. Through Christ, we can be sure of this before God. In ourselves, we are not able to claim anything for ourselves. The power to do what we do comes from God. It's not that I can stand in a bucket and lift myself up by the handle. I can't do that, right? And and she says, the power is not in me to be like Jesus, but the power comes from God. Verse 6, he has given us the power to serve under a new covenant, the covenant of the Spirit. This covenant is not based on the written law of Moses. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The written law kills, but the Spirit of God gives life. Paul works but God's empowering him to be all that God wants him to be. And beloved, that's true for Paul. But here, man, I want you to get it this morning. That's true for all of you sitting in the room. And it's true for all of you watching by live stream. He is the power within us to be like Jesus and to be transformed into his image, to be the kind of disciple that he wants us to be. Now, I know all analogies fall short. And I know some of you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lower myself in your thinking and that's okay, I'm good with it. But I've been watching the Marvel comics. <laughs> I've been watching the, the Avengers series, right? And I, I watched them in chronological order. Yeah, I watched them all. And I watched from Captain America all the way almost to the end. And for those of you that haven't watched any of them, my son told me this yesterday, he hadn't watched any of them. I said, what's wrong with you? But anyway, uh, <laughs> he hadn't watched any of them. And some of you sitting here listening may have not watched any of them, and that's fine. The analogy, you won't get it, but that's fine. But in the movies, uh, there's the Iron Man. And the Iron Man is a fellow by the name of Tony Stark. He's a, he's a genius, and he creates the Iron Man suit. And here's what I want you to understand about the Iron Man. Tony Stark is absolutely responsible for everything the Iron Man does. I mean, he's responsible. Um, no one else is. But he can't do what he does apart from the power of the Iron Man suit. Now, I want you to understand, I know analogies fall short, and I'm not trying to, not trying to say that the Holy Spirit's the Iron Man suit. But that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I mean, he's like the Iron Man suit for us. I'm responsible, but he empowers me to do everything I need to do. And you have him in you. I don't want to say you have power. You have him who is going to be with you and never leave you. He's going to help you be the power. I mean, he, he is the power and he is with you. And it's not that you've got this like, like this, this, I got a battery in one of my pockets here for my iPhone, right? He, he's not that. He, he's not an inanimate battery. He, he's a person. He's going to empower you to live out this Christian life, to grow in your discipleship, to be like Jesus. So who's responsible for your spiritual growth? You are. 
But God is, because he's gonna enable you to grow. He's gonna enable you to be everything that God, he's gonna enable you to succeed. So the question now is, follow my logic, because I think this way, and I want you to follow me. So the, the next logical question would be, how do I appropriate the power of the Spirit, the work of this Spirit who dwells within me? How do I, how do I appropriate this power? Are there magic words for me to say? I mean, uh, is there Jarvis in the Iron Man suit that applies my thinking to the Jarvis? You know, how does it work, you know? And... Um, how do I energize his power to help me become all that God wants me to be? So I'm going to tell you, I've been thinking about this message for a couple of weeks, and of course I'm focused on it come Sunday at 1 o'clock. Uh, I begin focusing on next week, you know, and I begin thinking about this. And I've got to be honest with you, I did not know how I would answer that question. I really didn't know how do, how do I tell myself, how do I tell you, how do I energize the power of the Spirit in my life? How does that happen? I didn't know what I was going to tell you. And, uh, but this week, and again, I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but this is melodramatic. I, I'm going to clearly, I feel like God clearly and compellingly answered this question for me so that it changed my life this week. Now, God can change my life in this moment, and by, the, by two weeks from now, I'm back in the same old rut I used to be. Can you relate to that? I mean, we all know that's true, right? But I want to tell you just so strongly this morning that God changed my life this week and answered this question for me, and, and, and that's my goal with conviction to share it with you this morning so that at least maybe for a day, hopefully for a lifetime, we'll all be changed and we'll all find, we'll all know how to uh, apply this power, how, how to take advantage of this power that dwells within me, right? So let me ask you a question, another question. Do you believe that God can do things bigger than you? How about, how about better than you? Do you believe that God can do things faster than you? All right. How does God work in my life to do things bigger and better and faster than I can? How does that happen? How does his power work in my life in that way? All right. Here's my answer. And here's what I'm going to be sharing with you. This is, this is the rest of my talk this morning. We live our lives of dependence on God by staying connected to him through prayer. <laughs> uh, anecdotally, uh, R.C. Ryle, a, a well-known 19th century Christian leader, he noted this. He said, I have read the lives of many eminent Christians who have been on earth since Bible days. Some of them I see were rich, some were poor, some were learned, some were unlearned, some were Calvinist, some were non-Calvinist. But one thing I see they all had in common. They all had been men and, and women of prayer. Now I know, it's in my notes, I'm reading it to you. I know some of you are disappointed by what I just said. Because you thought I was going to give you an Iron Man silver, an Iron Man suit that was a silver bullet, right? I was going to say something you'd never heard before. And I was going to tell you how to appropriate this power in your spiritual life. Please, listen, please don't be disappointed. Please don't be disappointed. Please be open to what I think God wants to show you as he showed me this week. I'm telling you, he spoke to my heart this week with great conviction. And, and I hope that he'll speak to you this morning too. The key to dependence on Jesus. 
the key to to the power of God so that I might become everything that he wants me to be in this this Christian life that I'm seeking to live, this little Jesus life I'm trying to live, is prayer. So we're, we're apprenticing after Jesus. So let me see if I can, let me see if, first of all, I want to prove to you that the key to the power in Jesus' life was the Spirit of God. How, how did Jesus do what Jesus did? Well, um, I think that he did it. Follow, follow me. I think that he did it. Everything Jesus did. The miracles that Jesus did. The, the holiness that Jesus walked in. I think he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's what Acts 10 says. And it's a commentary. Here's what it says. It says, you know the events, I I can't remember who's speaking here. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee after the baptism that John preached. Here it is. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, the adversary, because God was, was with him. I think that was Peter speaking, but I'm not sure. Some say that Jesus did everything that Jesus did because he was innately God. In other words, Jesus knew everything, every miracle he did, everything that Jesus did that's supernatural, he did it simply because innately he was God. I disagree. I don't think the scripture holds that to be true. The Bible says in Philippians, Paul said that Jesus emptied himself. I've told you this before. The word there in the Greek for empty is is kenoo. And and so we call it in in a transliteration, the kenosis of Jesus, the emptying of Jesus. And some suggest that Jesus emptied himself of the glory of heaven where people were worshiping him and now were not. And that's what he emptied himself of. I don't believe that's true. I believe Jesus emptied himself in some way of his omniscience. of his omnipotence, and that what he did, and again, I want to affirm for those of you that think he can't be God if that were true, I believe he was fully God, fully man, and yet I believe he emptied himself of those things. And I believe that Jesus did what he did through the power of the Holy Spirit so that he could be like us and experience everything the way we experience it, not because he's innately God walking in his own innate God power, right? And, and so does the Bible affirm this? Well, first of all, I think Acts 10.38 affirmed that. But let me see if I can... Let me if I can prove this to you in other ways throughout the scripture. Here's the baptism of Jesus. Here's what it says. Then John, the baptizer, gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John says, God said the Holy Spirit was going to come down on some person and you'll know for sure he is, he is the Messiah, the anointed one. In Jesus' first sermon, this is what he preached. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to see the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Sorry, that's Luke chapter four. I keep forgetting the reference because they're going to be on the screen. Sorry about that up there in the booth. So Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Here's Luke 4, 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. 
He's being led by the Spirit. Why does he need to be led by the Spirit? He's innately God. He knows all things. He doesn't need to be led. No, I believe Jesus emptied himself, so he needed to be led by the Holy Spirit. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He did what he did through the Holy Spirit. The miracles that Jesus did. It says, Jesus says he does them through the Holy Spirit. Matthew 7, 28. Jesus speaking, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, in chapter 11, 11 says this, and he's talking about Jesus, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and his roots, and, and from his roots a branch that will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now here's my point, don't miss it, I can convince you of my observation. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Now we can pretend that's just an isolated verse, Gospels. And that Jesus, on this one particular morning, he got up because he just really felt the need to be close to God. And he went out into a deserted place, left the disciple. We could say that that's just an isolated event. But you know it's not. In fact, even though I kiss, I would venture that was an everyday event. That before anybody else got up, when, when everybody else was still sleeping, Jesus withdrew to pray. Matthew 14, 23. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Luke 6, 12, different event, not the same event recorded two times in the same, in the same, in two different gospels, two different events. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Luke 5, 15, but the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him, and he'd be healed by their sickness, of their sickness. Yeah, we, we want to pray like you do. He taught them to pray continuously, Luke 18, 1. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. He taught them to pray alone, out of relationship and not for show. This is Matthew 6. He says, when you go to pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Listen, Jesus isn't trying to say, guys, the only time you can pray is when you go hide somewhere. But he is countering a culture that when they prayed, they went out on the streets so everybody could see them. And he's saying, listen, if your prayer is just all about show, you've missed the whole boat because this isn't about show. It's like we talked about muscles and spiritual disciplines last week, right? Spiritual disciplines are not so you can show off to the rest of us. Spiritual disciplines are so that your life will be changed and transformed. That's the reason why, I don't know if you spent any time this week looking at those spiritual disciplines. I hope you did. It wasn't an exercise just to spend time. It was, it was trying to get you to look at your life and say, what disciplines do I need to employ so that I might become mature? They're not for show. Prayer is not for show is what he says. It's okay to pray in a group. He's not, he's not saying we can't pray together. There's many times they prayed together. Many times he told them to pray. So it's not, it's not that. It's, don't pray for show. And then he goes on in verse 7, saying Matthew 6. He says, and he says, pray from your hearts. Don't babble. Don't just repeat rote prayers. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. 
you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to pick on, on others, you know, but people who want to just pray beads and stuff like that and count the prayers, go say this many prayers and this many prayers. I mean, Jesus says that's foolishness. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Please hear me here. I might even suggest that praying a prayer, a laundry list prayer of request could fit in this category. And I am not against petitioning. The Bible tells us to petition the Lord. I'm telling you that prayer is more than just a laundry list of you going down your list and praying for everybody on your list. Prayer is much more than that, as, as I, I hope just briefly to, to make that point. Jesus spoke so often about praying. And uh, the night before his death, you remember he's praying that night? And, and here's, if you, if you haven't ever, you probably have read this, but in case you haven't, go and read about the night before his crucifixion. Because Jesus spent much of the night praying because he was so dependent on God. What, what do you, how does he, how does he, demo, how does he, how does his dependence on God show up? It shows up by him going and spending hours praying and even asking his disciples, join me in this, pray with me, pray with me. I need you to pray. That's, that's how his dependence, his, his undeniable connection to God is his prayer life. After his resurrection, the early church got it. Jesus left at day 40. The Spirit of God fell at day 50. That's 10 days. You know what they did for 10 days? They gathered in an upper room, it says, and they prayed. They praised and they prayed. They, they, why, why did they do that? Because they understood something I don't know that we get. And that is that the, the way that the power of God and the Spirit of God works in us to enable us to be what we're responsible to be is through prayer. It's through prayer. They spent the whole week praying. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. In the life of Peter in the book of Acts, in chapter 3, he's going to the temple to pray. In chapter 10, he's going up on the rooftop to pray. I mean, Peter's life was one of devoted to prayer. They're, when, they're, when they're challenged, they pray. So, so Peter and John, they get arrested. Go, don't go preach anymore. Don't go preach anymore. They go back and tell everybody what they said. Acts chapter 4, you know what they did, right? They got together and they began to pray. And they began to pray this, God, give us boldness. God, help us not, help us not, dependence on the Spirit. Help us not push us back. Help us push us forward. That's their prayer. They, they were devoted to prayer. Let's get honest for a minute. Let's get honest. And I'm not, I'm not doing anything I'm doing right now to shame us. And I, I guess I'd be shaming myself maybe, but I'm not trying to shame you. But how much time do we engage in prayer? Seriously, how much time do we engage in actually just talking with God? And, and, and let me, okay, here's what I want you to see. When I say engaging with God, I, 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 what I mean by that is that your mind, your heart, your spirit is actually engaged. You're, you're thinking God, you're in, a, you're in a conversation with God so that you're acknowledging his presence with you. How much time do we spend engaging with God in prayer? Here's a survey. The average pastor engages in prayer seven minutes a day. Here's another survey. It's a little bit better. 80% of pastors surveyed spent less than 15 minutes a day in prayer. And the most generous survey of pastors in their prayer life came, came out at 37 minutes 
a day engaged with God in prayer. So here's, here's my point in sharing that survey that's talking about people who, who have my vocational office. If pastors are only engaging in prayer, and listen, and I know there's exceptions. Some of you may be just great prayer warriors engaging with God often in prayer, but if pastors only spend that amount of time engaging with God in prayer, I think it's probably indicative of just how we all are. It's how we all are, not really engaging all that much in prayer with God. Yet, if I'm correct in what I'm suggesting to you, prayer is the way we depend on the Spirit to exercise his power in our life to help us do what we're responsible to do. Prayer is the key by which the Spirit of God works in us. And if, and if that is true, is it a wonder that the Western church is so anemic? Is it a wonder that we're, we're just not making much difference in, in our country and in our culture anymore? You know, we, we want government to go and we want government to force everybody to be Christians and act moral or whatever. What if, what if this church were empowered by the Spirit of God? Hey, listen, 12, 12 guys, make it 120 with Acts chapter, Acts chapter 1. Make it 120 people. They turn the world upside down within how many years? 30 years or so? They change the world. You know, how many millions of us claim to know Jesus? Why aren't we changing our culture? Why is our culture washing over us? Maybe it's because there's no power in our Christian lives. And maybe there's no power in our Christian lives to be a different kind of disciple, to be one who's like Jesus, because we're not dependent on the Spirit, and we're not dependent on the Spirit, and that dependence isn't even isn't visible in our prayer times with God. What is prayer? I want to say it again. I just, I want you to hear this because I'm going to talk about what it is and I'm almost finished so hang in there with me emotionally and mentally. Um, for many of us, prayers is a laundry list of our petitions. I mean, it's just a list of our petitions. We pull out our petitions on, in the morning. We read our Bibles and then we just start asking God for things, the things on our list. And again, please don't misunderstand me. I, I'm, God tells us to bring every petition to him. I'm not against us petitioning to God, a petitioning God. I'm simply trying to say that prayer, that, that, that is just, I, I think that should probably be just a small aspect of prayer. Prayer is our engagement with God in relationship. And it's in that engaged relationship that the energy flows through our lives to be the disciple that God has called us to be and that we're responsible to be. So this morning, here's my, this is the application of everything I've said to you. And this is a different kind of message. I mean, I haven't had points and you haven't, haven't been able to write all the points down or whatever. But, but here's, here's, this is, I've come to this point. I'm asking you to change. I'm asking you to repent. I'm asking you to change how you depend on God and the Spirit of God. And I'm asking you to embrace prayer as, as the means by which the power of God will flow in your life to change you and make you different. I'm asking you to engage with God consistently and regularly to start your day out with dependence and then to live that whole day in a life of dependence with God. When I was a young Christian, um, they taught me that the key to walking in dependence 
on God was my quiet time. And so I had a quiet time. And for probably, I don't know, 20 years of my Christian life, I journaled my quiet time. I'd read my Bible. I'd write down what I had learned, what I felt like God was telling me, how I needed to be different. And I'd write down my prayer requests that went along with that. I journaled for the first 20 years of my life. And then I quit. And I quit, Jim, because of something you said this morning. You said, you know, Jimmy, uh, I'm trying to live my Christian life in constant prayer, right? And that's what I tried to do. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to talk to God throughout my day. Uh, I remember, I can't remember the, the monk's name. Maybe you can help me in. But the monk uh, who said he was going to practice the presence of God all the time. And so he was trying to live constantly in the presence of God. And that's what I was going to do. And I was going to live constantly in the presence of God, just talking to God all day and, and all that. But I want to tell you what happened to me. And I've known it for some time. And, I, and even though I've tried to reverse it, I haven't reversed it. And that is that the, the, pendulum, the pendulum swung. Is that the right way to say it? The pendulum swung from this side where my relationship with God was pretty ordered and structured. And it was in the morning to where it became just haphazard over here and I lost that and honestly I lost it I lost a huge connection to God when I lost this and um, so I'm, I'm trying to say to this morning I'm, I'm trying what, what God showed me this week personally what I want to say to all of you this morning is that somehow it's 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 how I walk in dependence on the spirit and prayer it's both of those things I'm consciously and mentally engaging with God where I'm, I'm stopped for a minute. And, and I'm, see, see, Jesus didn't just talk to God when he's driving down the road, which was what I was trying to do. Jesus got up early in the morning for anybody else. And you know what? They didn't even have cars. They didn't have radios. They didn't have iWatches or iPhones or any of that kind of stuff. And yet he still went and got away from everybody else so he could spend time alone with God. And listen, he didn't have a Bible. He didn't have a Bible, everyone. I mean, not that he didn't know the Word of God. I'm, I'm sure he knew the Old Testament really, really well. So maybe he had the Bible written in his heart. But my point is, he didn't just read the Bible and then do his petitioning. I mean, he went out there by himself. He was talking to God. That's all he was doing. He was talking to God. He was in relationship with God. And I guarantee you, he's not just giving a laundry list of things. He's listening to the Spirit. He's talking to the Spirit. He's engaging with the Spirit. And, and so what I'm trying to ask you to do this morning is to make a decision that prayer is going to become the means by which you empower because the per you're going to walk in this relationship with the Spirit so that your life will be transformed by His power. And I'm, I'm asking you to couple both of these things together, both the pulling away and then the, and then the thing that Jim and I have tried to do, which is to drive down the road talking with God. I'm not saying give that up. I'm saying, uh, I'm saying, listen, guys, you should be doing this all day long, seeking to engage God, and you should be, and you should be pulling aside and, and, and not just early in the morning, but all throughout your day, pulling aside and consciously talking to God. This week at that prayer summit, man, God just got a hold of my heart. And, and I had to repent and say, God, I want to change. I want to be different. And so I'm, I'm going to, so here's some things that I've done this week in application to what I felt like God told me. So here's what I did. So you know, I tell you about walking every morning, right? 
And so what I've done for the last year with my walking is it's my learning time. I got my headphones on and I'm listening. I have been listening to the Bible some, but by and large, I'm listening to teaching podcasts and I'm listening to things that you've told me that have ministered to you. I'm, I'm listening to those. And, and so, man, from the moment I start walking to the moment I get back to the house, I'm listening to something. God spoke to me and said, Jimmy, I want you to take that walking time and I want you to turn it into a me and you time where you're just talking to me. And so you know what? I took my headphones off and I began to walk this week just talking to God. So I leave my house and it's not a laundry list. It's just I'm trying to talk to God. I'm trying to tell him about how much I love him, how thankful I am for the things that he's done in my life. I try to, and I tell you what, as the week went on, as the week wore on, it became, became better. I mean, I thought the very first day, I said, Lord, I'm going to take my headphones because I don't know, man. By the time I get to the end of my walk, about 20 minutes, I don't know that I'm going to do this. But you know, I got to the end of my walk, and man, me and him were still talking. And we talked all the way home. And then there were some times where I didn't talk. I just listened. And the shuffle of my feet on the road. And I just was quiet. And I just listened. I'm, I'm challenging you to do the same. Maybe you don't walk. That's fine. But you need to, if, if, you need to find a place where it's just you and him. And you're talking. And it's more than just, listen, it's going to be awkward. You won't know what to say. But tell them how you're feeling. Tell them about your struggles. I mean, this isn't, about, this isn't just about petitioning God. It's not he's a genie in the, in the lamp and we're rubbing the lamp so that he'll do what we're asking him to do. No, it's, it's like he's a person who lives within us. And so as I walk with him and I talk with him, he empowers me. So tell him about your struggles. Listen, if you're addicted to pornography, he knows it. Talk to him about it. Tell him you're addicted. Tell him you want to be free of it. If you're a greedy person and you know you're greedy, tell him. Tell him, say, God, I don't want to be a greedy person. You know, tell him you know it hurts his heart. Talk to him like he's your father because that's who he is. And I'm telling you, as we walk in dependence on him in prayer, then I believe his power is going to begin to work in our life. And so I'm trying to have, this time, I, I, I'll tell you something else God told me to do. So at this, at this thing on Tuesday, God said, Jimmy, you and I aren't praying much together anymore. And uh, here's what I want you to do. So I said, Father, I'll do that. So after dinner, we watched the news. And at 7 o'clock, we usually sit there and, you know, I watch the Marvel comics and she goes and does whatever. But at 7 o'clock this week, we've been praying together for our children. And it's just a time where we've just stopped and we're praying and we're just talking to God. And, and again, one of the things Ann said to me, she said, uh, hey, I don't want to just repeat the same thing night after night after night. And I said, don't. I mean, we're in a conversation with God. We're just telling God, you know, telling him about our worries about our kids, telling him about how proud we are about our kids. I mean, God wants to hear all of that. You following me? I mean, is this touching your heart like it touched me? I mean, I've prayed that it would. That God would speak to your hearts. I want to practice. I want to practice bringing God into these into these relationships in my life all throughout the day. Not just not just whatever, but all the time. So I've thought about this, Ange. You know, so I come in on Monday and they're counting money, and we all sit there and laugh, and and I tell them they did good or they did bad, depending on what the offering is. And then they tell me how much they're stealing and going on their trips and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> And if you just came in at that moment, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, okay? I'm kidding. And I'm not kidding about how we tease, but I'm kidding. They don't take any money. Although y'all do go on a lot of trips, you know. 
But here's the thought I had. Jimmy, why not, why not when the ladies are sitting there, why not just say, hey, girls, let's, let's just thank God for how he's provided for us. And, and it doesn't have to be me or Michael because we're vocational. I mean, you do it. You do it, Ange. You say, hey, girls, let's just pray today and thank God for this. Beverly, you do it, and you're so grew. Hey, girls, let's just, let's just pray that God will, I don't know, pour out his spirit upon us as we're sowing. Help us not to gossip. <laughs> that was a joke, too. That was a joke, too. Oh, man, did y'all see the evil eye? Well, you got to admit, Beverly, sewing groups are notorious, but ours is different. Ours is different. It really is. So, uh, <laughs> oh, Kelly, we do pray there at the men's breakfast. Oh, I didn't mean to be so lighthearted at this point because I really want you to be serious here. Maybe laughter is good medicine. Maybe it'll open your heart to this. I'm telling you, folks, you want the power of God in your life? What's well, the Holy Spirit? And if you don't believe me, ask our Savior who just couldn't spend time, couldn't let a day pass without spending time connected to the Holy Spirit. Ask him. Look at him. And how did he do it? Constantly pulling aside to talk to him and pray with him. Man, I want us to practice the presence of God, you know. I just want us to practice the presence of God in our life. And, and this will be awkward. It'll seem, it'll seem unnatural at first, but I'm telling you, having, you know, not quite even a week, five days of this, it's becoming more natural for me to, like yesterday, I didn't have anything to do with it, but yesterday morning, uh, my family went up to Richmond and we spent the morning praying for my grandkids with some friends. I didn't organize that, have anything to do with it. But they pulled, some, somebody else, a young person, pulled aside and said, look, I think we need to pray. So praying for my foster grandkids, you know? Just praying all, all, day, all yesterday morning for an hour or more. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to try. I'm asking you to do the thing over here where you pull aside like Jesus did. And then I'm asking you to do the thing over here where all throughout the day you're just engaging with God. As you drive, something simple like that. But, but I'm asking you to engage over here more where you actually pull people together with you around you and you pray. And you bring his presence and you bring him into, into that. Tell him things throughout your day. It's okay to just talk to him. Say, man, Lord, I really like that song. Thank you for that song. It means so much to me. And tell him why that song meant so much that you just heard. Or thank you. You're seeing a beautiful sunset or a sunrise. And you say, man, Lord, thank you. You're such a great God. Such a great God. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.